Welcome to the Makom Israel Teachers Lounge podcast, where we connect students and listeners with Israel by discussing and exploring current events and relevant issues. I am your host, Michael Unterberg, here, as always, with co-host Alan Goldman. How's it going, Alan? Thanks, God, Mike. It's going well okay. Yeah, it is going well okay, <laughs> which is about as good as, as it can go. I, I think... Uh, well, Everybody, it's hard to say it's going well, even though it's going pretty well in Israel, but you see the world is not, you know, in lots of places it, it, of the world, it's not. It's exactly. Not. And it's, you oh, know, okay. there's that, you know, it's it's dangerous to live in interesting times. And these yeah. are interesting times. And they are yeah. troubled times. Yeah. Um, and so I, I feel as a person, you know, we're doing an Israel podcast, and that's our issues. But you you turn on the news, and your head is very full of chaos and problems, you know, whether it's protests and, and looting and a virus spreading, a pandemic. Um, and economic ramifications economic from turmoil. all those. Yeah. yeah, and interesting times often leave people feeling helpless and depressed. Now, the modern Zionist movement was born of such difficult times, pogroms, world wars, ideological ferment, are things that were going on in the 19th and 20th century that fueled the creative building of a new era for Jews. In other words, they took that that trouble and that energy. And I, and I think that Zionism has lessons for us, for our own perspective, mental health, uh, and, and, and just our ability to navigate through life when we are living in one of these really difficult eras. So what I what and normally we have a third person but I think today we want to do one of our more uh broad outlook episodes where we talk about what are the lessons of Zionism? What's the Zionist playbook for living through interesting times without going yeah. bonkers? Yeah. Yeah, I mean I think uh as I always say in I often say in class to my students is, you know, a, a synonym for Zionism is activism. Yeah. Right. Because that's exactly it. The Zionism was responding to the breakdown of um, the, you know, uh, whatever you call it, the the world that they lived in, in terms of um, uh, lots of different facets, as you mentioned, in terms of the big pictures, pogroms, world wars, even pandemics. Right. Mm-hmm. The 1918 yep. uh, Spanish flu, which now people are talking about again, but for you know, nobody ever learned about that as historical ramifications, but it did have historical ramifications in World War One. Um, uh, but uh, Zionism was was really an activist movement responding to the disruption in in the in the nineteenth and uh, first half of the twentieth century. So um, when we when we talked, Jews, it was a Jewish response. It, the Jew, right? As a Jew. Jewish. How do I function in these things that many of them are beyond my reach? It's a very uh, frustrating feeling. It's a feeling of helplessness, I think, comes sometimes where you feel like there's all this chaos and things are degrading. How do I maintain a healthy sense of perspective and even, dare I say, optimism with all this going on? And when we, we wow. you and I sat down, and I'm not really explaining this to you, Alan, because you're you. So you know that we sat down. But <laughs> listeners, Alan and I sat down and we uh, broke pretty down. Pretty much all I do now is sit down. Because <laughs> I don't yeah. go anywhere anymore. So. Yeah. Well, thank God for Zoom. <laughs> yeah. uh, and we, we broke down what we think are the seven steps of the Zionist playbook for interesting times. 
and uh, we want to go through them with reflection on how they worked in the Zionist movement, how the Zionist movement implemented these. Um, and also, let's be honest about areas where they didn't implement them properly, and that's still coming back to bite us. Right. So, uh, so, so let's like go as through a model that. or template for yeah, yeah, how to deal as, with uh, disruption so, and interesting times. And I think we, I think they're in order, more or less. I don't know that they have to yeah. be in order, but uh, you can do them in any order you want. I guess this is just the way yeah. we laid it out that made sense to us. You want to take the first one, Alan? Uh, okay, great. So I think the first one is really the foundation for all of it. Um, and again, these are things that I think we teach about all the time. That's mm -hmm. kind of why it's, 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 it is very helpful. We've laid it out like this. But um, and the first thing is really making a deep dive. Right. You have to do a deep dive into the issues that you're facing. What's causing the disruption? Um, and and the first and, and the facets of that are like listening, studying, understanding, um, beyond your personal perspective, trying to go outside of you and seeing what's really out there and listening to people. I think you made that, um, you know, that stress very clearly. You say, look, look, it's really important to listen now to what people yeah. are saying, especially outside of your bubble, outside of your normal place of, uh, of uh, listening, let's say. It's a real, it's a real uh, danger to critical thinking to assume I have enough information to come to conclusions now. Why? Because I know what I know now. Right. Well, there's a vast amount of things that are deeply relevant to the forming of your opinion, that you have, and you have to figure out what they are, and you have to access them, especially, as you said, the things that, especially the things that you don't already know. You need to listen to other perspectives from other locations. You know, a Jew in Germany, you know, Herzl, Herzl was from Hungary, but he was living in Austria. He was living a pretty comfortable life fairly acculturated into Western culture, but was deeply concerned, as were all the Zionists, about what was going on primarily in Eastern Europe, pogroms and unrest that Western Jews weren't really suffering from. You know, they had the more subtle social anti-Semitism in Western Europe, which, you know, for Herzl, the Dreyfus affair was such a clear example. But they were so deeply concerned about what was going on for the Jews in the Pale of Settlement under the Tsar. They weren't just locked into their lives. They were really paying attention and trying to understand what was going on systematically and why in these two different zones uh, were they suffering different problems, but that was, seemed related. So it took all of these early Zionists, spent a lot of time reading and studying and listening. You know, Herzl wrote Der Judenstadt, and Jews all over the world took it very seriously. He said, here's my assessment. Here's what I think. And so people are like, well, here's an expert. And, and I want to know what he thinks. And so people kept their antenna up for different approaches of opinion. Many people disagreed very strongly. There were many of those people giving out their theories, whether socialists or Bundists or communists or... Or Zionists. Or Zionists. Who disagreed with Herzl, right? Yeah, nachon. So, so you had, you mm -hmm. had all... Of, what was the essential question they were addressing? Well, they were rest at the time. They were wrestling with the Jewish question about why right. Jews are part of uh, of the world, but don't really, but still remain distinct, and why why they never why they always remain an other uh, wherever right. they live. 
I think what was like what you're pointing at is like something that I think is really incredible because we think about all of the information available to us now on the internet, and of course there's a lot more information. But there was a robust, a robust um, uh, literature that yeah. was being created about about this question from yeah. from all aspects and all spectrums of Jewish life, whether those who were, uh, uh, you know, secularizing, assimilating, those who were religious, those were the all span of the character of the Jewish people were addressing this question and reading and fighting about it. And, and that's one of the crazy things I think that Herzl really did, which gives him his, you know, father of the of Zionism title is that he, he tried to bring as many of these people, at least under the, uh, that had a similar idea about Zionism under the same roof. And yeah. we know that they had vociferous de debates about these things, about this, right? It was, there weren't nice little, okay, let's all agree and sign some things. There were massive, really intense debates yep. about the future of the Jewish people. Um, but that again, idea also of spread we have out to, beyond just the Zionist movement, as you pointed out. Yeah. yeah. And we, we have to get the people of the different perspectives in the room having those debates, listening to each other. Yeah. Because we have to understand no single approach, no single anything. We have to listen to each other and understand each other. Because I think also part of that yeah, flushes out because it, it, it flushes out the complexity of the problem you're facing mm -hmm. when you have different perspectives. It's often from I think most people, you know, have the ability to look at something, and say, OK, this is the, what's the problem is. And usually they get part of the problem, but you don't usually right. get the whole picture. And when you get lots of people, different people saying, no, this is the problem. This is the problem. This is the problem. You get a bigger picture of, oh, this is a complex problem with lots of different aspects to it. And that, and that often when people jump to and they say, well, this is what we should do, that and they think it's like, well, why don't we do this? What yeah. that means is you haven't really looked at the problem in all of its facets. You're, you think the problem is part of the problem A, so you have a solution to A. But there's B through L that you're not addressing, and so yeah. A is not going to be solved unless you do a holistic approach. Right. So that kind and also, of... A, and it's not saying that A isn't the problem. It's just that where, it that's is. where you... It, that's that's right. where you are, right? So that's where your framework is. So if you're a Jew in, right, in Western Europe, it's going to look different than if you're a Jew in Eastern Europe. And let's be honest, what they didn't really talk about were the Jews in the Arab lands so much in that early in those early years, Correct. Much, who had Correct. their own problems that they were who kind at that of time they had their they had their own problems, but they weren't. First of all, they just they just seemed too exotic. The world was a much bigger place then. Yeah. It's much smaller today. So, uh, and they weren't as literarily inclined. So they weren't writing, they weren't speaking in a voice that these Europeans could hear. They just weren't, right. they weren't in the same conversation, which I think is not to the credit of the Zionists. They, they needed to oh. think more outside the box to find ways to listen. And you're, you're talking about Jews and Arab lands. I think one of the real flaws of those early Zionists was they weren't listening to the native Arabs of Palestine. Right. They weren't listening to the Arabs who were living in the land. You know, the Zionists are saying, well, let's go to Palestine and turn it into Israel. Um, and, and they really, they just made, you know, Jabotinsky is one of the earliest Zionists to argue that we're really not listening to, we're not taking the Arabs seriously. They're not right. going to be happy about this. Um, right. And, 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 and that's something that's been, and, but both of those issues have still like, are still major issues to us today, right? The, correct. The tension between you know Mizrahi Jews and Israel, and is it that's one sub tension in there, and right. another is is obviously with Arabs and Palestinian Arabs particularly. Yeah, yeah, they addressed A B C D E, 
But FGH, it's still all there, and it's not. If it's right. not addressed, sometimes it's exacerbated. You have to find. And, and by the way, nobody ever does. Nobody. By the way, Jabotinsky wasn't the only one, right? You had like Martin Buber and the binationalists yep. who were talking yep. about it, who were saying, yep. "No, we have to have a binational. Zionism is binational." Yeah. Weizmann um, also was a binationalist for a while. Yeah. 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 So. so I th- I, Step one is being open-minded, watch your own confirmation bias, listen for perspectives that are beyond your own, examine different approaches with a humility, and also not to debate. The first stage of listening isn't, mm. I want to hear what you have to say so that I can argue with you and defend, and defend myself against you. The first step is, I want to listen. I'll have a chance to assert my perspective and you'll have to listen to me. But right now, I just want to understand where you are, what you're about, what you're saying. And then we can we can enter the phase of dialogue. But but, but before that, before I, I have to hear what you're saying. I, I think that, that's, again, we, we also talk about this in class. It's like, you have to be very careful about your defense mechanisms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and all of a sudden, your defense mechanisms go off. Oh, no, because it, it, it's, it, you find it threatening or it's disagreeing with your... No, you have to, you have to really work hard. To, to keep those, you know, shields lowered, let's say, so that yeah. you can really, it doesn't mean you have to accept everything that someone else is saying. It just means you have to, you have to really think about it. Yeah, uh, I'm not going to agree with that. Uh, before right. you automatically throw it out. Yeah, I, I still find this the most difficult part of listening, of lowering yeah. my shields defenses to listen, knowing that I'm not, it, it feels vulnerable, but it isn't. It's going to yeah. strengthen me because I'm going to understand things better. But that feeling of vulnerability is unnerving. That illusion of vulnerability is un- unnerving. But hearing the other doesn't make you more vulnerable. Even even hearing your enemy, you know, Sun Tzu in the Art of War says, yeah. if you, it, he, the, one, the, the general who understands his enemy will be victorious. So right. even, even if it's really your enemy, it's important to hear them in their own language. Um, and I think that this really lays the foundation for everything else. That if you do this well, yeah, you you lay down very strong foundations for solving the problem. Yeah, love of the truth is this addressing. Of, I should say solving is addressing the problem. No, no, address right. Yeah, love of the truth is the seed virtue of all other virtues. John Locke said, "If you need yeah. to get to the truth, that's the foundation." Then I think step two we called to assess, where now that you've really listened. Now you have to develop your own understanding and approach and opinions where you say, okay, I understand this piece of it. I'm going to focus on this because I think this approach is the most meaningful to me. And maybe I only work on you know, part C and D of the problem because I think this solution to C and D is meaningful. Or maybe I want to embrace yeah. the whole thing or whatever. We're not, we're not saying that everyone has to choose uh, a particular path. But when you feel that anxiety and that helplessness to say, well, I can't solve everything for everybody, but I'm going to pick an area, this approach, this aspect is meaningful to me, and I'm going to choose that as my area of focus. Um, I, I think I, I, I agree. I think I would add the word passion there, something that you're yep. passionate about yep. is important. Um uh, but I think uh, part of this is also where this is the stage where you say, okay, I, I disagree with this, but I agree with yeah. this, right? Yeah. Is the part where you, then you do start making conclusions after you've listened, hopefully, honestly, and thought about it and, yeah. 
and investigated, now you can say, okay, I don't accept this. It's okay right. to say, I don't agree with this, and I agree with it. Because yeah. if you agree with everything, then, then what is the, you Then you're nothing. Then you're nothing, right? So, yeah. so there is a point where, um, where we, uh, where, and, and that's what, that's the coming to your own understanding and approach and opinions. And that's where you also, I think, find your passion and your meaning. You and say, it's okay. This is what speaks to me. It's okay to think you're right. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like sometimes, you know, you, you, you can't be so humble that you don't believe in anything. You have to say, okay, this is what I believe. I think I'm right. I think right. that is, you know, I think this, this, and this are wrong. I think what I'm saying is right. And that's what I'm going to choose to focus on, which leads directly uh, to, yeah, go, you want to yeah, add something? Yeah, before that, because I think it's an important point. This, I think, is one of the problems we face today is that, there's like two, two. There's in the in the you know um, polarized world that we live in now. It's very it's very hard to like. On one hand, people say, okay, there's the the camp that says I have my opinions. I don't need to listen to anything else. There's the other camp that says no, all opinions. You have to listen to right. everybody. Everything is right. So we're trying to argue for no. You can have respectful debate where you disagree. Right. right? That that like I can have my opinion. I can say I'm right. And I respect your right to be, and I respect you to to, to be wrong, <laughs> yeah. in that sense, right? I'm Meaning listening. I, I, I've I, I'm listening. I've listened, and I'm listening. I want to hear and understand. I also think you're wrong. <laughs> like that's okay. Yeah. That's yeah. That's, that's okay. Yeah. And it doesn't mean and it doesn't mean we can't be friends now, or we can't even work together on things Correct. that we have in common. Correct. Because right? there's going to be a Venn diagram where we'll find things we can work together, unless you're talking about really evil people like like no. Hamas. Yeah, yeah. No. no, we're talking about like, like for instance, in the early Zionist movement, and I think right. that this was what what distinguishes the religious Zionists from right. the the Haredi ultra orthodox world. That was, you know, one of the turning points. Where is that the religious Zionists said, okay, we don't agree with the secular Zionists on a lot, right? A lot we don't agree on. We think right. they're wrong in much of what they're saying and much of what they're doing, yeah. but we agree on certain aspects, and those certain aspects we can work together. Right. And we, think, fact, we, think, we think they're throwing some of the baby out with the bathwater, and we don't want to do that. We right. want to hold on to the baby, and we think that baby is the nation, and so we'll, we'll find a way to work together. Right. Whereas, and, and in fact, the religious Zionists probably had more in common with the Haredi ultra-Orthodox world in many ways. It depends which branch. You know, so that's a complicated again, analysis. Uh, uh, we're yeah. being, we're being yeah, general. general. So obviously, yeah. you get into the... Inside baseball Zionism, there's many, right. many more differences, obviously. But right. my, my point is, is that that they they the 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 real radical step that the religious Zionists make is saying, okay, we can work with these people, even though we have diametrically opposed opinions on many serious aspects of our lives. Which and, and, and we see this problem. I mean, which is actually sound and reasonable. It shouldn't feel so shocking. Yeah. But, I, but I think unfortunately, historically, it often is. Yeah. Um, which leads to step three. Yeah. Now that you've come to your understanding, you, uh, and, and here's what Alan was saying before. Part of how you deal with the stress of these times is wanting to make things better. It's choosing a mission. It's not just yeah. I assess and here's my intellectual view. I have to be active in some way. Right. I have to choose a set of goals. I have to choose what solutions I, I will believe in and then work towards achieving them in some way. Because right. that that feeling of powerlessness, of chaos, of entropy all around you, oh no, everything's getting worse. Well, I'm going to do my part to make things better 
And whatever level of difference that makes, that's that's my answer to yeah. the chaos and unraveling around me. Uh, I think that, I, I mean, to me, these three steps really correspond with a very Jewish ideal that in, in, in tefillah, in prayer, we, we say every day. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. That you have mm-hmm. to you have to learn, you have to teach, and you have to do. In other yeah. words, if you're not doing, if you right, you you learn in order to do. If you don't learn in order to do, then the learning it just stays purely academic and hasn't really been manifested in this world. Yeah, um, yeah. Look, so, I, I don't think that Zionism is is unique in the world of movements. I think it has many. Yeah. Car- but it is it is in, in, in inherently Jewish. It, yeah. it is a Jewish activism. It is a Jewish patriotism. It is a Jewish problem solving. So it's both similar to different types of nationalism around the world, positive patriotic nationalism, not negative supremacist nationalism. But it's also uh, it's also really, really Jewish. Right. And we see also how this also Jewish and Zionism came up with many different approaches, right? Mm-hmm. That well, we talked about earlier before about like all that writing and all this different. Well, it gave birth to many different Zionist uh, uh, movements, right? Within the bigger movement, right? And, many and approaches it, within the Zionist movement. And I think it's important that when you choose your mission to believe in that that's good. What you're saying, Alan, right. that that's good. That the different approaches yeah. isn't just oh great now I got to work yeah. around these idiots. It's no, no, no. I'm happy that there are people working on that. These these different approaches are complementary, and I will focus right. on the positive of the people I disagree with, and hopefully they'll focus on my positive, and we'll learn from each other and be able to, you know, find a way to move the ball farther ahead, because we're looking at things with that with that attitude of respecting others. To me, one of the I think that, that brings out this that I love is there's a bi- there was a big you know difference of opinion between you know A.D. Gordon and Achada Am. We often look at Herzl and Achada Am or those, but A.D. Gordon, who was you know the father of labor Zionism, um, moving to the land, living on a farm, yeah. plowing, working, getting your he, hands that, into the soil. Yeah. Uh, he also wanted to rejuvenate Jewish culture. That was his yeah. goal too. But he said rejuvenating Jewish culture has to come through working the land. Yeah. Right. It can't be this, you know. It can't uh, be in a academic a, or whatever. Right. I don't know poetry clubs. I don't know what you call it. Right. Literary clubs. In some, you know, yeah. In some like uh, uh, room where you sit with friends and intellectualize, you have to be people right. of the land again. There's right. always there's always overlapping Venn diagram in all these different things. Yeah. And what unites us is always much greater than what divides us. And we have to focus on what we what we do together while being actually happy that there's other people working on the other aspects. Because then we get a fuller range of the problems being addressed. Right. And I'm passionate about your mission. Now, what's but, what's by step- the way, we should we, we said we were gonna say I mean, even though we know the Zionist movement often wasn't very respectful of other approaches. Yeah, I mean, you have a there lot was, of examples of, of this sort of failure. Together. Yeah. What? Sorry, we're talking together. Go ahead. No, but you have a lot of that. That that mutual respect failed often. You know, between Ben yes. Gurion and Jabotinsky, Ben Gurion and Begin. Uh, right. You know, if you want to go back and study the 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 killing of um, oh, why am I blanking his name? On the beach, he was walking with his wife, and oh, they blame. Uh, um, um, Ka- uh, Stavsky. Kastner. Kastner. No. Oh, Kastner's earlier one, later. In the 30s. 
Yeah, I was 30s. thinking of Stavsky, but you're right. Kastner's Stavsky. another example of, you know, even political violence of the different movements or... Or you know, I would the, say what we said earlier, the, the abuse of the Yemenite Jews. Yeah. Right? The, the abuse of the Yemenite Jews early on. Yemenite Jews, when they came over in the... They were in the... They came over in the early first Aliyah in the 1880s, they started coming over. And they were based... They And, and throughout the... They were often... They were settled outside of the towns... Yeah, or the small issue, small settlements. They weren't allowed to live in the same places as the Ashkenazim. Well, there was this, you know, this elite and, uh, intellectual socialist approach that saw yeah. these Jews as lesser, and they saw them as their, you know, as their labor to to be their yeah. cheap labor. It was very, very not right. That was. Yeah. Uh, you have all these things, right? And so as, uh, as we, you know, look at the, the ideals, we also see that, uh, and unfortunately, there was also, there's always failure. Yeah. Nothing's perfect. What's number four? Number four is eyes on the prize, we like to say, right? Keep your eyes mm -hmm. on the prize always, that, right? That we, you have to stubbornly lock into the positive uh, end goal um, and reject despair and hopelessness, right? It's very easily, it's very easily to see it's so big. We'll never get there. Look at Herzl, right? Herzl comes mm -hmm. off of the Dreyfus Affair in 1977 of the World Zionist Congress and then starts moving around to, like, get people to, you know, governments to kind of agree to give a piece of land. This and that. He, he basically fails in those objectives. In his lifetime, right? sure. Yeah. In his lifetime, saying, yeah, in his lifetime. Yeah, he, he dies personally. in 1903, 1904. And, yeah. Yeah, he personally didn't see the success. Um, so it was very. It would be very easy at that time to see. Wow, there's no way we're. You know, okay. So we set up another settlement. Well, okay, so we have another meeting with this governor, this government. We have this. Like all these things they're doing that seem very, very small. Um, uh, but if you obviously keep an end that they, they uh, of what the real goal is, it's it's easier um, to break away. As you said that that that. that uh, despair that can come from from having long term goals. It's it it is very hard. I mean, I personally find this one hard, where I look at things and I see, you know, how do you undo the entropy of the unraveling of, you know, these things that that I just don't see how it's going to get better. But it, but 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 that attitude is self defeating. Right. It, there's this, I mean, I, it's the stubbornness that's so important. That. Yeah. Like uh, the only, uh, uh, for some reason, uh, the Herzlian example is a much better example, but I, I, for some reason, just now in my head popped a, a historical example. When, when Hannibal uh, crossed the Alps and defeated the Roman army, in that context, in that culture, that means Rome lost because they didn't have an army. Right. So that right. meant Hannibal, and, and Hannibal didn't go in and sack Rome. He basically won. And the right. Romans said, no, you didn't. No, you didn't. We'll just rebuild an army and come back and push you out, and then we're still here. They didn't play by the rules because they stubbornly couldn't believe that Rome could be defeated. And, you know, Lahavdil, that's sort of what we did, right? We were, we were exiled, which means our nation is now dead. And we said, no, it isn't. That sense, that, that, that stubborn belief that we'll come back I mean, is... I, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I think that's what makes Chazal, right? The rabbis of the of the early, you know, Talmudic period, the Mishnah, right, Gemara, and the at the, the, the time of the destruction and post destruction that they're setting up this Judaism, which is keeping their eyes on the prize, right? Yep. 
the, uh, the uh, then and again we are we are reminded that our 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 home is is in Jerusalem in Israel and that we will get back there and that we have to keep it cut right everywhere we turn in all of our liturgy and in all of our customs whenever it is possible we are directed redirected towards Israel and Jerusalem that's keeping your eyes on the prize yeah it's Mar- it's Martin Luther King reminding his followers that the arc of history is long but it bends towards justice we'll get there and I may yeah. not be with you. I, I, I am, I've been to the mountaintop. I've looked huh. at the promised land, and I may not get right. there with you. But we will get there. Right. That type As of people. Yeah. We live in an age, I'll tell you, I often ask my students you know, questions about how they see the future. And we live in, a, I have to say, I think a pretty cynical age where, where it's hard to be optimistic. It's not an optimistic culture at the moment. And I think part of the Zionist playbook is to say, no, I'm going to choose to be optimistic anyway. I'm going to choose to believe that there'll be stumbles and falls and there'll be two steps forward and then one step back, but we're going to get there if we all keep working. We shall overcome. Yeah. I mean, I think that's part of what it fuels my obsession with uh, the history of the Holocaust and studying the Holocaust, is that it, so. it, it, it boggles my mind that after that destruction, that people said, no, we can still build a state. Yeah. <laughs> I still don't understand that. That that's a yeah. crazy, that's a crazy thought that he said, right? No, even so, I think it's beyond stubborn. So. I think it's I think it's an irrational optimism. <laughs> it could be. No, really. By the yeah. way, if you look at if you look at the zealots at the fall of the second uh, kingdom, mm-hmm. you know, uh, yeah. the the people on Masada, they were despairing. Some of those zealots were despairing. But if you listen to the part the song of the partisans in World War II, oh, our they were the optimistic. Sabbath. Yeah. Yeah. They believed they were yeah. they, they believed that no matter what happened, in the end, we would come through. Don't and they say did the... it. Go yeah. ahead. No, no, again. No, imagine being in a forest. You know, trying to keep people alive while trying to sabotage them and being optimistic about the future of the Jews. Yeah. Thank God I, we don't have that test. I think that the, the, that committing to action, committing to action is the key here. That, yeah. that, that when you talk about fighting off, you know, depression, keeping your eyes on the prize, but it's building it brick by brick. Right. That you have to focus on what I can do to change my what I change my reality right now that I can help that is achievable, right? So on the one hand, you have a long term goal that is big and is shooting for the stars, let's say, uh, which I think was was building a Jewish state. On the other hand, you're actually working on a very very localized level to accomplish things brick by brick, building. Building an electric, the first electrical factory in in the Middle East, in, in Tel Aviv, in the in the 1920s, right? It's mm-hmm. a crazy idea. That's what they do, right? Um, or you know, obviously setting up a kibbutz. You know, 10, 15 people uh, that set up, you know, a you know a a kfutza, not even a kibbutz, a group of, of people learning to get living together communally in Daganya sets off a revolution in living um, style that will set off uh, agricultural communities that will that will dominate Israel's agricultural uh, um, setting up um, a market. setting up yeah. a little shoe store in Dizengorf it doesn't have to yeah. be like every it's setting little up piece. industry right yeah That's every setting up little, industry every little piece 
is a, I think is that's a how you get you out of bed. You know, that's that thing. Like you yeah. say, how do you get out of bed to, to accomplish those goals is, well, you keep the thing. You have to do little achievable acts. It's like, you know, what am I, it's like, a, it's like basic one, um, 101 of how I get out of bed in the morning, make your list of things you can achieve that day. Right. right? When you're, when you're struggling. Um, and, uh, I think that that is really, really a key. I think it's really, um, well, it's hard. That's also, it's, it feels so meaningless because you don't always see the results. You know, like if I, if I yeah. set up a kibbutz, I don't see the Jew. Plenty of those people who set up the first kibbutz team died before the state was born. Not, yeah. not, not seeing that they would become the Israel become an exporter of produce. And, you know, not, not, not only would there be enough to feed the nation, we'd be exporting. Right. So you, you have to commit to, building your the bricks those micro actions where you build brick after brick where you 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 don't focus on the drama of it you focus on the tiny little pieces of moving your piece forward and that that's very if you can turn that into something that's energizing okay i moved it a little further a little further it's a game of inches and at the end to understand that 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 there's other people doing that means that we're going to get it there at the end it's yeah. part of what fuels that optimism we were talking about. Yeah, absolutely. And the the bumper sticker I love to quote any point I can and can ever, you know, think globally, act locally. Yep. Same idea. Think big, but act on. Well, that's what that's what people particular. are saying in America now. You know, the protests are very important. They bring attention and drama and focus. But right. it's going to come down to who you're going to vote for for school board, for for county sheriff, for. It's yeah. going to come down to are you going to show up in November to vote? Are you going to campaign? Are you going to hand out? Are you going to change uh, the laws? Are you going are you, to change the laws? Right? Are you going to make new guidelines? To, you can make new guidelines. Going out on the street to vent your rage is very important, but it's the right. micro actions of the day-to-day political activity and that they're mm-hmm. saying that you have to, to to make this to make the real changes. At the end of the day, the riot, the riots are for sure going to end, but even the protests are going to dissipate. And then what? Right. You need a well, massive. Thank God, it seems people. the riots have turned a corner at this point. It does oh, seem they've yes. turned a corner. It's a God big willing. relief to. It's such a bad feeling to wake up in the morning and go, "Uh oh, I don't know what I'm right. going to see today. Is it right. going to be worse?" And to, you know, when you see something a little better, that's very energizing. And yeah. then, of course, uh, step six. You realize that those micro actions work best when coordinated with others. You can always find people that you can work on those with. Like, I mean, the clearest examples of kibbutz, you know where yeah. one person definitionally does not make a kibbutz. It's that type of, when I find the other people who are focused where I'm focused, I work with them. And then my group works with the other groups and all the groups combine. Right. You know, I, I realize this may sound a little cliche that what we're saying, but this is this is the Zionist playbook. And I think that it, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I don't think it's cliche. I think it's it's fairly anybody who's been involved in activism or creating it. These are fairly, you know, straightforward things you have to do. And I think that you know that's what that's what an activist uh, you know uh, does. To, it used to, to be I, today. Today, yeah. there's more of the focus on the drama and the and the social media and the I think yeah. virtue signaling. I think I think I think you're getting now young people who get it. That that's not sufficient. That you need the commitment, right? And I yeah, would I say, mean, as a, I, yeah, go yes. ahead. No, no, go ahead. 
I, I just want to, because we're coming to the end, I just want to yeah. say as a last step. Go ahead. Before you end, which I think I just want to say one thing to that, what you said, in terms of coming to, I, I do, I, there was a lot of drama in the early Zionist movement too, throughout the Zionist movement between groups, right? Even 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 the kibbutzim, the different kibbutz groups that couldn't get together, like they got together. That's, not, what, that's not the drama I'm talking about. You're right. That goes back to what we were saying that, earlier. You know, of not politics, the drama right. is always part of it, I think. So well, that's a failure in what we're calling step six, that's which human. is coordinating and working together. Yeah. That's for sure. But what I'm talking about is, you know, oh, I'm tweeting how terrible this is. Ah. Okay. Good for you. Oh, I've devoted my Instagram picture to whatever. Uh, you're saying the supplanting that people feel they're being activists by doing superficial acts. It's image activism. Uh, look, look, yeah. look at look at me showing that I care. Right. Okay. Well, <laughs> that's not showing you care. Showing you care is working diligently. You know, it's like uh, that Rabbi Avi Weiss story of when you know his father has to pick him up at the airport. He said, "I love you, Dad, but I can't make it." And his father said, sometimes I wish you loved me a little less and would pick me up at the airport more often. <laughs> that, that love is a feeling, but that doesn't, love is a, in other words, the way he said it was, you know what? He's right. Love is a verb. It's not, I feel this for you. It's that I do this for you. And so, and so, you know, sloganeering and, and, and. That's what I was saying before about manifesting action, right? right. A small action that makes a little difference does yeah. more than a fancy Instagram post, uh, you know, and yeah, I'm not diminishing the importance of the of the of the messaging and the drama to bring attention to things, but then if it's not coupled with the action, it's a problem. And the last thing, as we wrap up, uh, is is finding a balance in your life to make sure that you're okay and that you're living your own life well, that you're spending time with friends and families, that you're developing hobbies. I think the clearest exception to that in Zionist history is Herzl, who worked himself to death at like 44, and his family really didn't see him for six or seven years. But most of these people, you know, living through these tumultuous times, went back home and and had really nice home lives and have kids who love them. Yeah, I I kind of feel like you kind of need those few like crazy nuts who like yeah. commit everything to the movement to <laughs> to make well, history that often owes, but yeah. History often owes to those people, yeah. but they often burn out without achieving their goals. What would have happened if Herzl had lived till 80? Yeah, it does, but maybe. But again, there are those people who are living the balanced lives, so the ones who are the brick and mortar, let's say, right? Well, I think most of us should be the brick and mortar people. Right. Oh, I think but, we are. I think they usually people are, right? But to be that good bricklayer who can lay brick after brick, you have to maintain yeah. your healthy balance you have to find some harmony in your life yeah. where where you're thinking globally but you're really acting lo- locally in your own life and living your own life and experiencing love and comradeship and right. and you know the things that make you know life is what happens when you're busy making other plans to not be that person who who doesn't live right their life I think that's also part of Zionism, and and yeah. Israel and all nations really are built of the m- millions of families that live and celebrate and share. Those are the cells of the of the polity of the body politic of these families that that move the the nation forward. And you can't you can't lose sight of those things. No, absolutely. I just think that uh, that that for most of us that is really true that you have to live a balanced life. I think that there are those you know. 
who end up being, you know, one and same as the movement, let's say, let's call them, right? Who give it, give it yeah. all over where you see it in Zionism or religious movements are all over. Um, you know, the but, rabbis uh, talk about that Moses was such a prophet. He was constantly yeah. talking to God. He didn't go home to his wife. Right. Okay. Exactly. Well, that's not a model. That's an no, exception. That's, that's an exception. Exactly. Right. Right. Did you? Right. Exactly. Yeah. There are those exceptions, but for the yeah. most part, for most of us. We don't want to be, be the exception. <laughs> Let the exceptions be exceptions. Moses didn't either, right? He was Nachon? chosen yeah. by God. He said, no, I don't want this. Yes. Well, I, I hope this is somewhat therapeutic. We wanted to talk about, we, we were feeling the angst and the tension, and we wanted to turn that into uh, a positive refocusing. And we're at Israel Podcast, so obviously we look at it through that lens, uh, but we think it's relevant to what do you do when you you know when you when you read the news and you feel that angst and that helplessness and despair is turn back on your zionist focus this is a playbook that our forefathers used that is and foremothers that is good for us today that it's as important and it's what will build a better word, world for our descendants and children in the future and you know we make we can look from the mountaintop. We've achieved so much. We appreciate so much. We benefit from so much. And we have to, you know, it's it's the story of Choni Amaga with a man with a, with a fig tree. I plant this tree so my grandkids can eat. Right. And that's that brings a deep level of meaning and purpose that is healing and I, I think brings a sense of mission, which to me brings harmony. Yep. So I hope that was helpful. It was helpful for me, Alan. Thank you. Working this out with me. you. Thank you, Mike, for the idea. Yeah, and I think I think just to, just again, like you said, these are things we talk about in class all the time. But but sort of trying to organize it and, and articulate it as a, as a system to make it explicit rather than just implicit in, in yeah. everything we talk about in Zionist history. I think for me has been helpful. So thank you. Me too. Thank you. And thanks to Ben for editing into this into something that will sound uh, reasonably good that's the end of the episode <laughs> for today bye bye thanks for listening to the Macomb Israel Teachers Lounge podcast don't forget to share subscribe rate and review join us next time <laughs>